the third highest grossing movie of the year was, it was quite a banger. In it, the heroine, she, she goes and steps forward and grows as a character and does some powerful things to transform the lives of everyone around. Against all wisdom, she wakes some sleeping giants. And she, she lives among a people who are certain that they know what keeps them safe and secure, certain that she knows uh, how to live best and only to find out that she decides to wake these giants to crush a water dam and bring wild life-filled change. Of course, I'm talking about Frozen 2. And Princess Anna, Princess Anna, I should know that. She has the, the courage that allowed her people and the people of the enchanted forests to experience a freedom in time and space that they didn't know that they were missing. A fog lifts and a new reality settles in and some past injustices are are made more right and are faced and, and began to, uh, the story moves on that there's a the point for reconciliation and restoration. And believe it or not, but our text for today made me think of this movie and it might be because my little Princess Anna likes to watch it every other day. The text is in the Gospel according to Mark 1, 12 and 13. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days. Being tempted by Satan, he was with the wild animals, and angels attended to him. Now the gospel according to Mark doesn't explain the temptations. We get that in other accounts. Uh, we know from those other accounts that it was temptations to gain all power and authority to alleviate some pain and suffering all without going through the whole human experience, all without having to suffer, to just like microwave it and have it immediately, all to not need to go through this public execution. But since Cain and Abel, like really early, our culture was formed by this dominance and violence, formed by oppression and division, and these are the beasts that Jesus went to encounter in the wilderness. I mean, there's wild animals, too, which freaks me out. I, I'm not making it 40 days. But then this is really what he goes out and faces. Now, first, he willingly fasted for 40 days. He chose to go without for the sake of the connection with his father, for clarity on what his life was to be about. Everything was set aside. And that makes me think, is there some reordering that I want to be doing? Do I have number eight as number one right now? And I need to shift that. Do I have number 12 as number four? What do I want to be doing? We're in this season of Lent where people often give up something and often don't know why and it becomes like a meaningless task, but choosing to prioritize what means the most and letting other things go makes a lot of sense. And this is a period of time where historically the church has practiced that, reordered what matters to us. 
And we've practiced it because Jesus practiced it for 40 days in the desert. But he was led into the desert. Why? Like, why did he have to go there? If there are wild animals that are not in cages, I would be wondering, why do I have to be here? I don't think, I mean, it, could it be just to be an example so people can relate? That, that's, that doesn't seem right. Or that he could know what it's like, like some cosmic episode of Undercover Boss? Is this, his going, is it going to change something? What does Emmanuel actually mean in this instance? Being led into that desert, Jesus woke some sleeping giants. These systems that had been satisfied for generations, death, decay, power, privilege, they just were the waters that everybody swam in. They just existed and didn't have to worry about people upsetting them, and they tended to bend and break everyone before him. And yet in Jesus not giving in, he, he poked the bear or rattled the shackles. They kept all humanity handcuffed. In that desert or in that wilderness, Jesus was tempted with the greatest temptations one could be offered, and he didn't lose who he was. It didn't change who he was. He had just had God speak over him. Everybody could... could uh, hear it. And then the spirit descended like a dove, right? And I think the like is really important there because I grew up thinking it was an actual dove and feeling really bad that if it was coming at me, I would duck and not be excited. <laughs> the spirit came like a dove, it says. And all of this, attaching him to the heavenly father's love and knowing that nothing could break that union, he goes into the wilderness there, faced the temptation, and he came out grounded, attached, and whole. And death kept taking swings, right? This whole next few years just kept taking swings at him until finally he ends up on that gnarly public state-sanctioned execution. And in between these wild lands and this cross, Jesus bid over and again, come follow me. So what does follow me mean? Follow into this loving attachment with the Father? I think so think so? Does it mean follow into suffering? From my, all I can tell in scripture and in church history, outside of some of us in the United States right now, that's just been pretty true. But that's part of it. To taking up the cross, he said so. To an abundant and full life. To an end where there's no more tears, pain, but joy and dancing. I believe this with all that I am and how they all coexist together. I don't, I don't know yet. I think that's what it is. And with this perspective, let's read these verses. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 
just want to point out a couple things that I've been stewing on for the last few weeks out of this. The writer of, of uh, Hebrews here says, this faith we profess. What is the faith that we profess? I mean, that's a real question. What's all included in that? A lot of the faith that I know I talk aloud about is held in this verse, or in these few verses. And one of the things that is most striking to me right now where I live and exist is this idea that Jesus is one who empathizes with our weaknesses. If you imagine the face of Jesus, can, can you see empathy on that? Is that one of the emotions that registers? It might be new to us to think about God empathizing with us, but it's not new to God. I mean, look back to the very first garden that we get, right? Adam and Eve were there, hiding in shame, knowing what they have done. And you look to God approaching. And God asks some questions and Does God really know where they are? Does God really know who told them? Probably, but there's something relational about asking the question. And what does God do? Well, God, knowing what happened, God sees sees them and makes clothing for them and covers their nakedness, healing their shame. Doesn't scold them for screwing it all up doesn't tell them, get some sunscreen and deal with it. He clothes them. He empathizes. Another thing that stands out here is Jesus was tempted. We serve a God who isn't lofty and disconnected. Isn't one who says, you all should figure it out one who lived in flesh and bones, experienced hunger, pain, temptation. The temptation to take advantage of power or privilege. Who lived in a culture that was set up to divide. He was tempted to skip suffering, prioritize himself. He didn't do it. He remained. Then there's this throne, right? I mean, who sits on thrones? Kings, right? And this whole time we're talking about a high priest. There's a high priest and a and a king. This cross-shaped throne. This throne was like the bicep, or the yeah, it was like the bicep of the Roman Empire, where they flexed their might with the cross, right? That's how they whipped everybody into line. And Jesus upside down the whole thing and turned it into his throne. That weapon turned into a throne. It's one we get to approach. It's the very place that we can receive mercy and find grace for these days, for these very real circumstances. That's the faith I profess. That I'm connected to the high priest. The high priest is the one who's in charge of all religious power, right? Religious authority all goes to the high priest. 
and all the wacky religious authority out there dividing and harming people, bring division and pain, using the, the giants of the world of privilege and violence. Now, the real high priest sits on a throne that's across and threw all that upside down. And we get to approach him. The real king, the one with all the political might, all the political power, chose not to flex it at people, but instead make room for people. And that's the king who's still on the throne. He's not coming back to, like, hurt everybody. He's not coming back to kill everybody. Jesus is the same. Yesterday, today, forever. He's with you now the same. With empathy. With love. Knowing the pain of suffering himself. And I get to approach this dismantling force of love and find empathetic eyes offering mercy and grace in these present days. And you do too. And so a question I have for you as we end this morning is, in this season of Lent, what is your invitation that you're feeling? Are you feeling an invitation maybe to follow Jesus? in one of those areas or another area, or just in general? Are you feeling an invitation to see that it's empathy that's waiting for you? Are you feeling the invitation to notice the defeated giants that are still around and call them defeated? What's your invitation? And what's your response? We're going to close by receiving communion. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine a couple weeks ago. As I tell this, if you need the elements, go ahead and raise your hand. Reverend Wayne's going to bring them over to you. I was talking to a friend of mine who, who's spent a lot of time in a Catholic retreat center. He said the more and more time he spends there, the more and more he feels like there's, there's something to the, like, Jesus really being in this, even in this prepackaged cup. There's something sacramental about, about the, the presence of God in this moment. Maybe in that moment, you feel seen. Or maybe there's a word of commitment that you want to give to, to Jesus. Maybe there's a prayer on behalf of friends like Ishmael or others. This is a moment we're invited into every, every time we gather.